people get recruited into negative stories most of the time the stories that you tell about yourself the stories that are told about you the stories that you got to go and shoot someone to prove that you're a man whatever it might be and when you can create a story that's more powerful than that and not force someone to like join it but they want to join it you can stand up with these people and do better than them Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Living Good Currency with Tony and Tobias. We're so grateful, as always, for your continued subscriptions and sharing and liking and commenting. Your feedback is essential to us. We really appreciate it. This has been an exciting journey so far, and we are in for another ride live from Los Angeles at the home of this unbelievable guest that we're grateful. Uh, a storied history with Tobias and so many other young men and women who he's helped out. And without further ado, Dr. Bethan Kanjul Roy. Dr. Roy is a professor of English literature at California State University, Los Angeles, where he has taught for the past 13 years, trained in post-colonial studies. He is the founder of Words Uncaged, an organization that provides a platform for incarcerated artists and writers to engage with the public through book publishing, art exhibits, and digital media. Words Uncaged uses storytelling as a way to foster empathy for and understanding of others, as well as to promote collective and individual healing. World Uncaged currently has programs in five prisons across California and one on death row in Texas, serving over 2,000 incarcerated men and women since its inception. Dr. Roy is also currently the faculty director of the first in-prison degree program at Los Angeles County Prison, Lancaster, and researches new pedagogical approaches to teaching in prison. He has been teaching in prison since 2013 and is a passionate advocate for restorative justice and ending mass incarcerations in the United States. He currently serves as vice president of California Humanities and is a board member of the Fair Chance Project and Rapper YG's Foundation, 400 Ways. So you think he cares? Oh, my man. Does he care? Dr. Roy, Badan, GP. Sorry for giving you such a long bio, <laughs> by the way. I'm like, oh. I, I'm like sick of hearing that by, by oh, myself no, by the end of well, that. I, I forced you. Uh, <laughs> but, brother, we definitely uh, thank you for being here today. And if anyone, is excited, uh, not only just Tony and myself, but even the men in our uh, production team who, uh, one, have, uh, you've been very impactful inside of our lives, uh, not just only during our incarceration, but after our physical freedom. So today, we're going off into this conversation, and uh, we welcome you and thank you for your hospitality of uh, welcoming us into your home. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's like not not the end, but a major step on a long journey. So, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, it's sir. Good, to, good to have you all here. Thank you, buddy. Uh, to give uh, our listeners a little context, but then how did you end up in Lancaster State Prison? Let's start there. Well, the the um, the short version of it is uh, I first went in with a with a dog program. I used to be um, the chairman of a board of a dog rescue service, mm. and under that, I I f first went in um, and met you and uh, Anthony, who's there behind the camera, hey. and several other people. Um, and from that, the the kind of experience became sort of apparent to me that there was this, um, uh, like, people were buried. Like, I mean, it, that's kind of the be best metaphor, you know. It's like you see these people that were just buried that I had no idea existed. I knew most people didn't know they existed. And the contrast between the kind of the, the light and the... Um, intelligence and the and the love and the fellowship and the uh presence tapped in this to the world 
the contrast between that someone for someone coming in kind of uninitiated in this world and then the popular culture or the stereotypes or the kind of things people would say when I'd say yeah I'm going in I'm starting this program in a prison and the first question that everyone asks are you scared and I was like scared why you know why would I be scared and so seeing this disjuncture between what people were thinking about what I was doing and what I was experiencing there for me I started to think this whole system of, of burying people and 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 um like the disappeared you know depends upon people not knowing who these people are Come on. in a deeper way and so it became a kind of um calling really yeah. you know to to say how can i um play some small part in sh- you know not shining light on but allowing that light to get out you know, and and so. And what year was that? That was two thousand thirteen. So yeah, just so, uh, about let's, nine let's, years. Let's, let's, let's go right here for a minute. So, to have a dog in prison, for one, for our audiences at this time, this wasn't a common concept in California, uh, and and I believe that this particular dog program was one of the first, if not the first, in. So that's one thing. Into two, that we are, or we were, because I was a part, as you said, uh, Brother Anthony Bomani was a part as well, of providing care for these animals that was mostly neglected, uh, abused, uh, harmed, and needed uh, love and care, and to be trained for a happy home. So we have to remember why would you bring those pe- uh, those animals, those precious animals, to a people who have been buried, as you said? We can only give what we have. So if I think that was a very powerful opportunity for all of us to show that, for one, uh, Anthony was a way better trainer than I was. I didn't give too much energy to training, but to care. Uh, the trauma, and I noticed that the same communities that many of these dogs came from, many of these dogs was on death row because if they yeah, wasn't euthanized, absolutely, and sent to the prison, come on out. And many of them, <laughs> many of them were pit bulls, yes. which Bad essentially have yes. the same yes. misunderstanding. Yes. And yes. someone that was a pit bull lover yes. and knew how you know our culture kind of dismiss pit bulls in certain stereotypes the, yes. the parallels were pretty remarkable yeah you're right and and I, and I found that remarkable that these dogs and it's one thing that you're not going to do you're not going to get past a dog human beings you know we can talk past each other whatever the case might be but these dogs took to us very yeah. quickly because they knew that we had so much love to give and probably not really before that point could we tap that deeply off into our humanities? But the reason why I said this is because there was a writing program that was connected to the caring of the dogs. And this is where I actually first met you. And this experience is very powerful because in school, uh, I didn't pay attention to school too much. For one, the culture of school in South Carolina at the time, I had a speech impediment. Uh, I didn't learn the way other students learned. And so I remember I was in the class, and this is the first time uh, I see, you know, I've, we've written it in a couple manuscripts, and I seen you, and, you know, I'm talking about you got this, what, this is the, this the British accent, uh, had the British accent going on, you know, with the pink socks, with the shirt, high waters, and I'm like, man, I'm sitting here judging this guy, and apparently he hasn't judged us. And then you called on me. And this is the first time in my life, and remember at this time, I've been out of high school uh, probably 20-something years, decades, and I heard the care that, not I was just a new guy inside of the dog program, but you wasn't going to let me to hide behind the more popular dog trainers. And then you gave, uh, you gave voice, and from that voice, uh, I was uh, voted uh, to be the person 
who handled uh, your schedule. Because your wife, uh, uh, as of today, uh, you wasn't getting home on time. So I took that as like a very, like I'm trusted. And you would have all these men wanting to talk to you and, and, and for you to, to, to hear their stories and what they're going through. But that led us to a conversation. Uh, one day, uh, the sun is going down. We got to get you off this yard before you get locked up in this prison. And I remember I was on one side of the gate and you was on the other side of the gate. And would you please tell our audience what took place in that conversation led to a revolutionary movement. That conversation, CP, Dr. Roy, please uh, give us a little bit of that conversation. Well, I can can remember those nights and um, I remember the one time that you, um, and I think this was the same night, but uh, it was was like almost nine o'clock, which was at that point... I was staying the night if I didn't get out at that time. Like there was no guards around, and he and I were out on the the yard together. And um, it, you know, the one thing, uh, the one thing about those desert prisons is, as awful as they are, um, there are moments there of silence and beauty, mm. and and that kind of contrast to the awfulness of the place. That when you get them you feel them in a way that, you know, we're sometimes too busy on the outside world to kind of have that kind of experience. I remember kind of being out there on a night like that. And, um, you know, uh, I, I asked you, you know, um, about what do you think and that you have this voice and we need to kind of shine a light, create a platform for your voice to get out in the world. And um, so the idea of words uncaged and that kind of, that phrasing of the idea that there are these not just cage people, but cage voices as well and to bring a kind of create some kind of platform where if you can't take people into prison, which is virtually impossible, you can bring them out. And the only way that you can do that is you can't, uh, you know, at that time there was no podcast equipment that you could take in. So it's literally just writing that's the only way you could bring these voices out. And so uh, with that, that's and, where we went from there. Uh, and what was your thinking? Because there's something in the conversation that we have, I believe you passed out to a few a few of us, the uh, the pedagogy of the oppressed. Yeah. And and, and this is the point I want to give. Could you, did you come in as a savior? Did you come in as a Buddha, a Christ, a Krishna, a Muhammad, a Mahdi, a Messiah? Or did you come in? Or how did you come in? I want to set this up because a lot of times people come into prison as if we need saving. Yeah. And if you go in to save anyone, you contribute to their oppression. So, you you know, I, I hope I came in as an equal. That's right, bro. You know, and I was someone that uh, wasn't in prison. I had a PhD, but apart from that, you know, there was not a lot of difference between us and the difference between sometimes what can lead to a set of circumstances, someone ended up in there. We're not a different category of being. We just had different life circumstances. And so I hope, and I, you know, I I don't want to project on what, how people saw me, but I hope they saw me um, as an equal and that someone treated them as an equal. And, um, and I hope everything was built from that, from a, from a, you know, to me, that's, that's a kind of what I would call love. When you recognize um, sentient beings as being of you and, 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 and their liberation is your liberation mm-hmm. and their suffering is your suffering. Um, and so I hope that's how I came in, oh, but I, right, you know, I don't want right. to tell you how no, I came no, in because no, 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 maybe you just you th- came in and, that's what we immediately felt. Why? Because you said, listen, your power, your freedom, the cultivation of your voice through narrative therapy, reauthoring your life, this is all up to you. My pleasure, my, 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 my service, my offering to you is just opportunity. You have a powerful resource in here. I have powerful resources in the street. And if I can leverage my resources, my skills, my talents, and all that I am as a man and a spiritual being 
And you all do the same here as a unified group that's going to take individual work on each person's behalf, then we can create a bridge, brother. And that is exactly what we did solely because you came not from a hierarchical position, that we're brothers in this. And we're going to create something that's not only going to change our lives, but are going to change the world. So Words Uncaged, and I was one of the co-founders of many co-founders, we brought into that notion. And so that was very uh, unique and, and, and empowering. And to give context to this, can you please uh, tell me how did the college program, because we're walking this out to uh, my physical uh, freedom. So the college program was very pivotal. Yes, we had the dog program. Uh, then we had uh, uh, Words Uncaged itself. We had the narrative therapy. We reauthoring our lives. Who do we desire to be? What role do you believe that college played? And can you give context to our audience on how difficult it is to get a higher education inside of the prison setting? Yeah, I mean, the 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 first thing I just have to say is, and it sounds counterintuitive because, you know, Tony, you would think if you were a volunteer with an organization that wanted to do good in a prison, that they'd be queuing up for you to go in and do that work. But that's not the case. It's really hard to start a program in a prison. And the advantage I had about being a professor was, you know, bureaucracies trust other big bureaucracies and so if you go in as just if I just went in as an individual as just me uh, there'd be a whole level of distrust I think but because I went in under the umbrella of a big you know state university it uh, gave me a kind of uh, cover I guess if you like I mean it's kind of like wearing a suit to a court hearing in a way people kind of see you in a certain kind of way and so um so, I mean, even maybe to back up from where you started, even when we first started those classes, we didn't even have a classroom. And uh, I remember doing the first class out, uh, one in the housing unit and then one out on the yard where, uh, you know, guys are doing pull-ups and stuff around us. And there was a desire for transformation and for learning that even in this where it was really hard to hear anything, there's like chaos going on around and then I remember at that time, um, you know, the guards didn't really want anything in there. So they wouldn't open the gate for me because they thought I would get, I think they thought I'd get intimidated by just being left on the yard with all these these guys. And so my first time, you know, not, not my first time, but one of my first times being there, I was, I was like stuck on that yard for about four hours and it was hot, you know, it was hot as well. It was another sun. And then from there, um, you know, what happened was I I could have happily continued doing what we were doing, but there were several guys came to me and said, we need a, a BA program. We need a degree in there. Come on. And I didn't realize the significance of the piece of paper of having a degree to the lives of the people in there. And they taught me that because there's something validating. There's something like... Um, important about it that I wasn't fully understanding so to do that is not one person so I don't want to take credit right. for the I you know I was one of the people that kind of started that fire but then you have to have a whole team of people that work together to make this happen and a lot of those early days was trying to sell that vision to people in the university like you're trying to make a movie or something right. like that you know and there were a lot of different kind of battles that you had to fight because the initial one was people didn't want LWAPs in their life without parole to participate because the thinking for people on the outside was, well, it's a waste of money to educate people with life without parole. But Don, right there. First of all, um, I, that was my sentence. Life without the possibility to parole, death sentence. One of those who uh, were, were buried. Point being, for context for our audience, the majority of California corrections has a middle school education and emotional quotients, which means the majority of people who find themselves in prison for crimes 
do not have a high school education, and emotionally, we're barely teenagers. So for a group of men to come to you and ask for a BA program, which means that not only intellectually or even spiritually or culturally, where you have to be at to sustain that in one of the most inhumane, crazy, and un uh, I guess inconsistent situations, yeah. but emotionally yeah. to be put yeah. up under that pressure knowing that the staff, other people, and so when you charge me, I said, well, CP, I'm not about to go to college, but listen, I will support and got many men to go to college. So my point now being how many, you know, so we'll we, we, we just get to this and then we, we get back to my uh, physical freedom, but how many life without the possibility of parole, uh, 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 students, not prisoners, students went through or are going through the program and how many has graduated while they're in and most, and most impressively, historically, how many has graduated since they've been out? You're asking me about numbers. <laughs> I, right. I, I, I can tell you roughly, but... Um, our, f- our first cohort, so our first cohort started and um, there was about 26 people in that cohort. Um, majority, probably 22 had life without, the yes. majority had life without. Very. And I think nearly all of them are out, aren't they? Just all te- there's maybe three Come on. people, wow. uh, three or four, and, and with life without. Um, and so, you, What's the correlation there? Come on, thank you. Well, that's a good question. And I, w- I would say there's like a couple of things, two or three things. The first thing is um, what I'd said earlier about institutions, trust in institutions. Yes. So when when have, what having a degree does is it gives the people that are making those decisions in Sacramento and on the parole boards and stuff like that a very clear, defined path of like, okay, I can see this person starting doing this here. They're moving through this, and when they get out, they do that. So that, I think, is huge because uh, Cal State LA is willing, and this is what's different about Cal State LA as well, what we have that's unique, not just that we're the only degree program um, in a prison, but also when when students get out, as, as you know, as I know, they're on campus and they're one of our students. It's not like, oh, we don't want you to come to campus kind of thing. And so at that point, when you get out, when I write the letters of support, I can say that the person was doing this with me. They've made this transformation and we can guarantee them paid work on campus and the completion of their degree. Well, and and so that is a very compelling narrative in itself. How many men have graduated uh, from that kind of letter being released from being buried life without the possibility to parole sentences? That's one thing. That's just amazing. Then to go to college and to graduate, how many of our fellow brothers uh, graduated with degrees? We had our first two cohorts graduate. So I think we're up to about kind of mid-40s graduated, something like that. Mid-40s. Have you heard of that in your uh, educator? I know you wouldn't call you a master educator, but you are a seasoned, experienced educator. Have you heard of that in any other prison system in United States? The only other one that um, that preceded us is Bard College in New York. And uh, they uh, they have a history of... Um, but aside from that, uh, since all the kind of funding was cut in the, you know, 80s, prison education, for it was, as far as universities goes, just died overnight because there was no way to fund it. So except for Bard, it's pretty much... Uh, this is the uh, only one. Be, be, be I would be remiss in my duty. Uh, Anthony Bomani told me to tell you thank you because he said when he went to the board, the single letter that they read and told him the reason they're going to release him after being a 17-year-old who committed a crime in South Central Los Angeles, and the reason that they're going to release him is because of your letter and they believe in Dr. Bethan Roy, what he's doing in education, and they believe that the periphery of his life will be consistent with the work 
that was at his apex when he was a part of uh, these, I don't like calling them programs, but they call them programs. So today when we was talking, uh, he wanted me to make that note. And now this same young man is in your home. He, yeah. t- he, he said, he said, brother, please let the audience know that these are not superficial relationships. I mean, but just stop and think about come that on, because I'm on. on the outside looking in even on, on this conversation. Come on, come on Tony. But Umbro, how does it feel to be sitting, we're in your home, you're sitting next to Tobias Tubbs who were serving two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Um, and I'm sure there's a mix of people like Tobias who didn't do it, other people who circumstantially were involved in certain things. And then Bomani, Anthony here. Like, how's that even, how do you comprehend what's going on? I mean, just be, and I, I mean. It's, it. you know, Tony, I'd say it's, um, I would distinguish between kind of, happiness joy and purpose and this kind of deeper richness of existence so when having having these guys here Come on, man. doing this is like the uh like the rich chocolate moose joy bone marrow of life love you know <laughs> it has to be it's, I mean, it's you like the best there, yeah it's the best and and i'm sure like you know anthony not serving life without and then tobias who was to be able to sit here and watching you, I mean, you are testing for these young men about the program that you put in place and, you know, your team and people around you, like you said, that help support you and what you're doing. And then to see them out, not just continuing, whether it's education or career, but then blossoming in some of these oh, yeah, it's- philosophies and stuff that you've instilled in these guys. I mean, that's... You know, it's the the only the, the one thing I'll say with like and how it's different from like having kids or something like this is like there's no ego involved in it with this. Like it, it's it's the pure joy of seeing someone else thrive that you saw in a different context and you had a small hand in it. That uh that 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 really is just like such a special feeling. And 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 I feel like you know, we we get lost in language between what's what's like selfish versus what's um, you know for the good of everyone. And really, I don't. There's no difference between it because if you really see yourself as not being separate in this in this kind of this universe, and you're just part of the cosmos, that you know, seeing you and 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 Anthony fulfilled makes me fulfilled as well. You know, there's no. It's not that it's selfish that I'm doing it, and it's not that I'm altruistic, really. It's just what it is, and it's 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 wonderful to it's a real gift to 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 kind of feel that. But I'll say as well with the letter, you know, because this was actually what got me into narrative therapy. So what I realized was it take you know my wife would tell you it it takes me I spend like ten or twelve hours a day writing letters for people because I get so many requests for writing letters for this kind of thing people in the program uh, um sorry a week did i say a day i mean a week um and uh i everyone i i think about the person and i write an individualized letter and a long one and and you know people have said to me well you could save so much time by writing a standard letter that you set that out and the reason the reason why i don't do that and I think there's something in this to like how we treat human beings in general is that uh, I started to see when the, when I wrote those letters, I wrote them at first I was writing them just, you know, to try and help the person get out of prison to the parole board. And then I could see when someone had the letter, the effect it had on them individually. And for a lot of the guys, they'd never had it, their life reflected back to them in a positive way way in this kind of way and I know this kind of official document and so I start to think there's something more than just getting out of prison here this is like a therapeutic tool so that that's how I ended up going to study narrative therapy and get certified in narrative therapy because I'm like there's some therapeutic power in letter has anyone ever researched this and I found out in fact there's a form of psychotherapy that does that oh brother so you know it's like you can't shortcut that and you can't like McDonald's it and just right, crank right, it out. You right, know what I mean? Right, you you right, have right. to you have to spend that attention. And when you think about like our education system and the experiences of, of many of the men that get into prison 
and you think, why didn't we front load this? That's right. Like, why did we do this now after 20 years in prison? And why aren't we doing this with, with you know, all these kids that are going to go the same way down down that path? Because no one's ever said any, no one ever told them they're, they're smart, they're beautiful, they're intelligent, they can do great things. And it's not making it up, it's not hyping it. It's like putting down in words what you see in the person. But they've never often had it reflected back. Um, I mean, am, am, uh, I, without, no, am I wrong you, about no, that? No, no, no. Uh, for one, I was one of the men privileged to be the first to be certified in narrative therapy. And one of the, the 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 beautiful parts of that is my preferred self. For 28 years of my life, I've done the best that I can do for my best self to come forth to bring healing to my life and everybody around me. So now that came to the point in narrative therapy where who do I desire to be behind the wall? Brother, narrative therapy was so powerful to me. I am living my preserved self. This is why this podcast and our company and what we're doing, this was a part of the person that I reauthored. Brother, there's nothing more revolutionary. There's nothing more viable and tangible for an individual to write down. This is my preferred circle. This is who I am. I'm not my worst moment. I'm not the, 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 the dark and, and hurtful emotions and pain that bring us to our, our, our worst moment. I can be whoever I design myself, who I willed myself, who I trained myself, whatever the case myself to be. So in that, the proof of that, and that's why I was explaining to Tony that this is a very powerful moment for me because I have the man who not alone believed in me in the inside. We created an apparatus not only to help me uh, uh, le- uh, leverage my physical freedom, but so far hundreds to possibly thousands of others. And then for Tony on the other end, no, we haven't got to uh, Cal State uh, 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 the work we've done at Words Uncaged, the office that you entrusted with me. Brother, you was the first person to give me some keys to an office downtown where I was taking the art from Words Uncaged artists, brother, doing workshops. Brother, this is, come on, man. Brother, you took me to Housing Worth with my whole crew of bros. Brother, I didn't even go. Go ahead, this guy, on this it, guy called me. <laughs> he called me. It was like uh, I, think, I think we were supposed to be on there at three. He calls me at like ten something in the morning. <laughs> where you at, CP? Where you at? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not there. <laughs> it's like five hours to go before the event. He's like, I'm down here with my brothers. Ain't no black people down here. You got to come down here. They're gonna arrest us. <laughs> They're in the bathrooms getting changed. Yes, worry yes. they're gonna be because it's yes, like some man. fancy galleries. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. And so, so tell. Tell us, there's two things I would like to talk about before we really get to how uh, we're going to bring this bridge together. And I'm the bridge between uh, what we're offering with yourself and the words uncaged and the bridge in which we're offering uh, through our company now. So my point is, one is uh, housing worth if I was president. This is a very pivotal moment in me and your relationship because you trusted me in which I had no idea what housing worth art gallery was how prestigious it was or how prestigious this event was I had no terms of reference nor no disrespect I really didn't care this was an opportunity in which I was being trusted to release my voice and so when you said my name Tobias Tubbs and you seen that voice release with our brothers in the audience and the response of the audience. Uh, what did that do for you, bro? Because you know what it did for me. Yeah, it was, um, you know, what was so powerful about it is you came with a whole, you know, and, and some of those guys you hadn't seen since Calipatria, right? True. Um, it's been years since I've seen a lot of those brothers. So it was the, uh, what it did was, you know, our society is so segmented and separated and there's the concept that there are certain spaces for certain kind of people and 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 uh certain things that certain people go to and other people don't go to you know when Tobias came um you know it was uh it it broke down uh 
a lot of those a lot of those walls um, from the sheer force of uh, you know from his speaking basically. So it was really in a way. Um, uh, I mean, for, for for us personally as well, because you know he'd been stuck out in San Bernardino. In he got paroled to San Bernardino, so I, dr- I drove out to see him in San Bernardino, and he was. So you've really been isolated from LA as well. So this yeah, was the well, kind of first time coming first to, time. to LA. And um, yeah, it was powerful. It broke down a lot of walls and it left a lot of impressions on a lot of people. And I think that, you know, it kind of serves a, as a model. And I think probably that's what you're trying to do with these, um, mm, with the podcast. Exactly what we're doing. Is that, you know, people get recruited into negative stories most of the time the stories that you tell about yourself the stories that are told about you the stories that you got to go and shoot someone to prove that you're a man whatever it might be and when you can create a story that's more powerful than that and not force someone to like join it but they want to join it and so I think exposing you know that audience to that became this kind of reciprocal thing where Tobias got a lot out of it because it kind of, I think it proved to you in a way Brother. what I was watching when I saw you right. that you belong there That's and that right. you can stand up with these people and do better than them. Come on, brother. You know, Come you know on, what brother. I mean. Well, I think that's you know for the people who are listening who've never been in prison or or been in a prison to visit someone or volunteered or whatever. It's it's hard to grasp because sometimes I mean, unless you've been there, you just your references from TV. Or film, right? That's your only reference point, right? Or some story you might have heard. And although we have a, you know, you know, my past is a, has been an attorney, but you know, we have a system of innocent until proven guilty, which on paper it sounds good, and a lot of times, depending on your color of skin, your circumstances, it's guilty until proven innocent, right? And so this 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 podcast right now, we're not talking about whether someone did it or didn't do it. Or, or their circumstances. Because I'm sure people, some people might be listening saying, well, you know, why are you educating someone who may have done the crime? I mean, there's victims out there. There's victims that want to see him pay the price. And, and if that happened to your family, would you want to have them educated and live a life of beauty and happiness? And so I think we need to address the, that's, that's, yeah. that's something that people, or I, ho- I, I, I imagine people are thinking, yeah. there's people thinking. Now, but what I find about, well, good currency, the flow of it, right? Currency is just also a flow, not just a medium of exchange. But what we're trying to focus on and tap into and what I think you've tapped into, and, you know, we could go back into your past of what your upbringing was to even get you to this point of being able to go into there, which we haven't talked about. But these are transferable skills. So some of the things that Tobias and I often talk about, whether it's on the podcast or offline, is is these transferable skills that you can have and, and the transferable skills that Tobias have cult, had cultivated in those 28 years, right. right? That now that are manifesting itself right now. I mean, right. it's part of our, my journey to Tobias, my commitment to him connecting and forming this company was, okay, let's take my personal, professional and spiritual experience and take yours along with some of our partners and let's put this together to then share these things. So what I love about it is, whether you did it, whether your circumstances did it, the, the severity of it, the fact that there are people listening who are, as Tobias often says, and we quote, and we will quote this on every podcast, hopefully, so it can get in people's minds that there are more people imprisoned than there are incarcerated. Yeah. Therefore, you just talked about a situation where Tobias had to share his story, feel like he could, you know, go toe to toe with some of these heavyweights. Yeah. Um, but also realize that they're better than their circumstances. They're better than their worst moment. These are all of these phraseologies, all these, these, these lessons that you guys are teaching there are exactly what we all need to hear outside too. Cause we're, yeah. so, cause the same philosophy happens. You can have a rich kid. You can have a poor kid. You can have a white kid, a black kid, a, a brown kid. And, and they're all, they're all feel trapped some way, whether it's mentally, physically, you know, economically. And so what I love to tap into before we get off this conversation is some of those 
some of those nuggets that yeah. that you've seen work because those are the takeaways that the audience can get from right in other words how do you how did you how do you take someone who's an LWAP or these other LWAPs you said that got out I mean these guys were done and yet you were able to get them into a mindset that whether I get out or not that's not why I'm doing this I'm doing this to better the time in which I have left however much I have if we can just extrapolate that from you guys and teach this to others because we're so all so much of us feel imprisoned yeah you know i mean i think the first you're right that's that's really well put and for me i think the first kind of step is like recognizing when i'm looking at you that i'm uh that i'm talking to god not in the way that you know maybe people use that that word but that you are as divine as anything else and you know the 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 dog that was taken in is divine and and if you look at someone as being divine and start from there then people can people that have been kind of you know and everyone's got a different way of accessing it for me it was meditation but i think when people can see that they're divine then they can act divine you know what i mean and and they can relate to others as if they're divine and harm comes into it i think when these you know these traumas and these these events and these these narratives of like uh oppression you know of various various ways lock people in those prisons that you're talking about and so they their behavior is passing that on and locking others in it but if you can break that open and and see this this light this divinity in everyone then that's how they act in the world and then others see it you know and that's what happened at the talk others see it and and like wow i want some of that that looks a lot better than this miserable you know miserable prison i'm in and 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 to me that's the way it did it so it's like and i'll say two things about your earlier point as well the first thing is um you know i met a lot of most of the people and many of the people that come to the house have committed murder done things that done acts that i do not condone and cause tremendous harm so the first thing i'll say is the person that i see now is not necessarily the person that did that that act because even that terrible act they are that divinity is still there so if you if that person is willing to kind of become that divinity that's who's in front of you right now and then the the second thing i'll say is i don't really know anyone there is a sense of justice that we have in terms of there needs to be some kind of some element of retribution some kind of punishment i think all of our senses of fairness necessitate that to some extent but that only goes so far and the object of justice to me should be repairing the harm that's caused because if you look at it and you look at court cases, you know, the the person that suffered the harm, if they had their loved one, you know, right now we're, we're doing this on death row with Obi, and, you know, the, the, the daughter of the guy he killed in the robbery has got this, her father got taken away. That's, that's real harm. That, that's real harm. That we shouldn't diminish that and we shouldn't just say... You know, although I do think, you know, mass incarceration and a lot of the kind of talk around the new Jim Crow is true, it misses the fact of what you're talking about, that real harm is being caused by people. You know what I mean? And we have to acknowledge that and work to address that. So so my kind of thing becomes, is it better someone like Tobias or Obi who's on death row? If we kill Obi on death row, how does that help the person who had their father murdered what it does is it turns murder into state-sponsored murder and then obi's family all the kids obi's mentoring now all that positive stuff he's doing gets taken out of the world all the stuff that tobias is doing now gets taken out of the world so after a certain amount of kind of you know accountability the person needs to be accountable for their actions and and together with the person who who they harmed need to figure out a way to heal from that harm and that doesn't happen in our current justice system so you know 
what I would like people to do that have that way of thinking is extract out and think a step beyond that reflex reaction to say, what is it that you want to have happen? You want accountability and you want the person who was harmed to feel like they've been acknowledged here. And our yes. system doesn't do yes, that now. Yes, yes. And to me, the way to do that is to have someone transformed through education and other means and then to allow them to spend their rest of their life making amends, not like by breaking rocks or, you know, working for Whole Foods for 10 cents an hour in slave prison labor, but by doing the work in the world and preventing others and spreading love in that kind of way. Oh, uh, uh, powerful uh, statement. Uh, with that, and I'm going to say this from, if you look at my commutation papers, and these papers uh, you know, kind of explain why uh, Governor Brown released me. In one year, 4,000 people, 4,000 people, casual contacts, which means in a medical setting, I talked to 4,000 people on whatever harm, depression, suicidal thoughts, whatever the case might be. Now, I will tell you this about prison. Under the notion, lock them up, throw them away the key, and just treat them like trash, treat them like shit, whatever the case might be, I get it. That does not hold a person accountable. Most people in prison rather that than to be able to face your shame. That's right. Your That's guilt. Right. If you right. want to hold somebody accountable, then they need the good currency journal. How am I, how am I going to hold you accountable spiritually? Oh, now I got to face myself as a spiritual being. Now I was a beast. I was an animal. I was a thug. I was a gangster. I was a super predator. So I took on the narrative of a super predator. Okay, now as a person, I never even felt like a person. So now I have to develop and face? We don't want to face that, bro. That's harder. It's easier to get beat on by the police, get treated like trash, and just die in prison. That's easy. Why? Because 99% of the people who end up in prison are already dead. Yeah, there's dead in their communities. Yeah. They don't have parents, bro. They've been suffering every form of sexual molestation, uh, every form of neglect, not to justify the harm. And by the way, sadly, ninety percent of the crimes of black people are on black people. So the notion that we're hurting police, not true. Check the statistics. A black male will hurt the police far less than a white male, Hispanic male, Islander, Native American. So let's just get to the facts. If you want to hold people accountable, you do it through the means of which we're saying. You are a spiritual being, and we're going to force you through environment and obligation to face your spirituality. And you ain't going to get out of here until you come up with something. I will tell you, that's hard. You know, so, brother, you're, that's you're the, the, the kind of, of, right. of, of notion. So, and, you're and right. everyone who knows me and heard me speak, uh, for one, uh, there was a housing worth event. Um, what was it called when me and you was on the panel and you was leading the panel so they can go to this? And this is the answer to Tony's question before is it, we bring uh, this, to, this conversation to a close. Breaking bread? Uh, not breaking bread, but the one that you was on the panel and uh, 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 it was oh, about books was, in prison. Uh, and, and, and lit, lit 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 in uh, 2019, I think that was, wasn't it? Or Please yeah. go to Lit Lit 2019. At the end of Lit Lit, I was ready for somebody to offer me the question in which Tony just asked. Tobias Tubbs, it sounds real good. How do you think the victims of your case feel? I was ready for that question. And it turned out the man who asked me the question, which I did not know, it was a European male around 60 years old, after it was over, somebody said, Tobias, do you know who that is? I said, no, who was it? That's Gil Garcetti. Oh, I just said, oh, Gil Garcetti. Oh, that's the mayor of Los Angeles' father. I didn't even equate that was the DA that put me in prison for a life sentence. Yeah. And the same one. And what he said, the first words he said, and please go, Lit Lit, Housingworth, 2019. He said, Tobias Tubbs is a man of power, and he needs to be listened to. So how can the mass incarcerated DA, the one who is responsible for mass incarceration in America, specifically California, 
throw them away, uh, the key, they predators, uh, 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 and treat them inhumanely while they're in there. How can he come to the point of saying on camera that the same person I threw away personally, because D.A. Hansen came to my mama and apologized and said, my supervisor said, if Tobias don't uh, participate with us, he's going away and going to die like the rest of them. He comes to the point in his life that he is saying, ah, Tobias needs to be listened to. I believe that is a very powerful notion, and that's what these kind of relationships offered me, bro, to look at the DA. Yeah. We got to get him on the podcast. Oh, bro, he's coming. His son coming, too. The sins of the heads fall on the heads of the children. So the points of this, brother, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited uh, about what we're doing here and the bridge that is being created between you two and uh, Bithan and Tony, I'm going to challenge us to get that journal. We have a journal, and it's basically, bro, do good, earn good. I say be good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> earn good, bro. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm when we you. are just being good, that creates an energy that flows. We are accounting for ourselves spiritually. Yes, bro, we spiritual beings. That's where we really vibe that in the spirituality. Then personally, how can I do good for myself and others? Yeah, yeah. And then lastly, whatever my profession is, whether I'm an academician, whether I'm an artist, whether I'm a student, whether I'm an advocate, whatever, how can I do the best for that, bro? And so this is what we're offering through this podcast. This is what we're offering through our journal and we are calling you, we are challenging you, which I don't even know I have to do, to help us get this message to the world and especially to the men and women behind the wall. I've said enough, my brother. Please uh, nah, speak I mean, on how you feel right now. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we know that you're going to be one of these um, recurring guests uh, on the podcast uh, because this is a conversation. We don't call it interviews. That's why... We're not going into your whole bio and everything else. That would you do in a normal interview. This is just conversation that we're continuing yeah. to have. And so we'd love to uh, either come back here or we'll invite you to our studio but and, and have these updates and maybe um, bring in some special other guests that you might. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, my, my, anytime, anytime. I'll always be happy. And actually, can I do, I do a plug, not for a product or anything like that. No, but for please. A, for, for an act of love and for a person. So I'd mentioned to you guys earlier, you know, I'm doing a book and working with O.B. Weathers, who's on death row. O.B. Weathers, our brother. In Texas. In Texas. Uh, he's exhausted his legal appeals. Death and uh, they're starting executions again this summer from June. Uh, at the height in Texas, they kill 30 people a month on death row. Majority, when you go to death row, it's majority black. Uh, and... We're, uh, I have to, uh, we're, we're doing, um, I feel like this tremendous pressure to always speak for him because, um, you know, when you're on death row, you can't, it's not even like, we can't even do words uncaged type stuff there. And um, what I'm asking is what we're hoping to do as we produce the book um, is to have a kind of simultaneous moment of meditation because I, I meditate with Obi uh, and I imagine myself touching him and our body you know our light bodies extended to touch each other onto death row and so what we want to do in, in in prisons but also on the outside is to have a moment of meditation and to keep keep him in your heart and in your, your thoughts and hopefully we can can some minor miracle can happen where he's not going to get killed um, by the state of Texas, we absolutely will. We'll put some information about that on the on the particular episode. I also think that it's um it's important for people to know. I remember one of my law school papers I did my second year was an astonishing fact that I don't know. I mean, this is a long time. This is nineteen ninety eight. Um. But I was shocked as a law student to find out that it cost, I mean, astronomically more to have someone on death row than it does to have them life without the possibility yeah. of parole. Yeah. And so just from an economic standpoint, it makes yeah. way more fiscal sense to lock them up 
and give them LWAP. LWAP is way better than death. Death sentence, a re, you know, death penalty for all the reasons. Even if you're because if you're LWAP, you can go to programs like yours. If you're on death row, you can't. But also for the crazy statistic of how many people are innocent that have been killed. That's right. That That's right. Is just, just That's so right. now if, if it was reversed, if it was so much cheaper for death penalty, your problem, you you know, you have a you're running the 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 percentages of innocence. I can see the rush to judgment. I can see the rush. It's economically feasible. They probably did do it. You know, take them down. I'm not saying I agree, but I can see. But it's not that. It's so much more costly on the taxpayers, and they're wrong. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. You know, there's a stat from um, the Innocence Program program that says 25%. This is, a, this is a stat you can't even make up, but you can't even believe. 25% of confessions are false. Yeah. Hold on a second. Just yeah. think about that. 25% of the people said, I murdered that person. Yeah. Under interrogation is a false testimony, is a false and that's what locks them up and, and gets them the death penalty. So although this podcast is not about that. We can go down that whole rabbit hole. But it's more of just saying that we don't know all the facts all the time. So many times in Texas or other places you find out that the, it was based on one witness who recanted their story anyway. But because they exhausted the appeal process, it's, it's tough luck. Yeah. So just for anybody listening, it's less to me, again, it's less about whether they actually did or didn't, because you know sometimes it's not as black and white as right. you think, but it's economically feasible to keep them the LWAP versus death penalty, and it's these transferable skills that we keep talking about. So, I just want to I just want to say that out there that it's 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 not all poly. It, this is the good currency studios. What we're trying to focus on with living good currency is it's not just living in la la land. Even though I guess that's where we're at LA right now, <laughs> but. It is about real life practical skills. We call it practical inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. You know, get, get people inspired to be their best self, but give them practical tools to do so, whether they're in prison mindset or physically incarcerated uh, or from homelessness or foster care or wherever you are that, you know, you're coming into your, yourself. So I just appreciate, and we will do the prayer and, 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 and put the meditation out there um, because, it, you know, there's so many. There's so many of us. I mean, what's going on in the world right now? It just, oh, it, yeah. It, it's, you know, we said in this, uh, in our in our first podcast interview with Tobias and I did with each other conversation, we talked about how every generation believes it's the worst. Right. Right. The world's coming to an end. The apocalypse is coming. You know, I mentioned, imagine if you lived during the bubonic plague. Come on. I mean, that's done. Right. right? This is this is the signs, right? right? So we're all tested constantly. And so I think, you know, when you have that choice of love over hate. Right. And, you know, Tobias always says, you know, hurt people, hurt people, love people, love people. You can get an instant gut check on where you're at by just listening to this conversation. Where's yep. your gut right now? Are you agitated? Are you feeling remorse? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling like that's them, not me? And I think the moment you realize that we're all in prison in our own ways and there's ways to unlock it. And I think that's one of the lessons that I'm learning from you and clearly your past. And, you know, we can have you back on talking about that and why you even had this mindset because yeah, I know it's difficult, but that's the sort of the key lessons is that, you know, you're a man who, while we wanted you on the show, not for obvious reasons of what you've done for Tobias and Bomani and people around us, but you're living good currency. I mean, you are literally putting yourself in these places that are so dark but yet you can find light in the middle of the desert when you're there. Come on, come on. And you're giving men hope to better and women to better themselves, whether they're going to get out or not. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of just not just all of them, but for those of us who are outside, who I, I really believe if, if and, and, I, and I take your challenge, if we could come together with, with what you're doing and realize that this, this knowledge should be, these, 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 whatever you're teaching inside, and I know you have your students at, at your college, but there's so many more people. There's millions and millions of people that need this same information. You know, we need to feel the same way because not all of us are, we're all on a death, we're all on death row. Yeah. <laughs> we're all yeah. on our, yeah. we all are facing exactly. a death sentence, but not all of us are, it's not so 
in our face. But imagine if we can take some of these lessons. That's why Tobias and I finally linked up. I said, there's just, there's too much. Like we have to, we have to share this world and you're part of that journey. So we appreciate all the work you're doing. Well, thank you so much. And it was my honor to be on this really was. Levon, you are definitely the embodiment of good. I see you have the tattoo of Lakshmi on your on your arm. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> She's the, the diva <laughs> of good. Well, listen, Badan, it's been awesome. So where can we have our audience go and listen or watch? We know we have Live Live, um, that series, but oh, wordsuncaged.org, correct? Yes, wordsuncaged.org, and then there's also an Instagram account um, at wordsuncaged. Awesome. So please support wordsuncaged.org. Follow them on social. We'll put that into the descriptions of the podcast as well. But Don, thank you so much for the hospitality. And we look forward to continuing this conversation, brother. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. Awesome. Thank you you so much. (laughs) Don't forget to check out new episodes every Monday. We're super excited about this. I'm Don Roy. I'm Tony Samadani. I'm Tobias Tubbs. And we are Living living Good good Currency. Currency.